there, and welcome to the Tuesday Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Holotic, and I'm so glad you're here. Each episode, I'll be joined by another woman to hear her story and talk about everyday life. These are real women with real stories, and they want you to know that you're not alone in what you're going through. We're going to talk, answer some questions, and of course, we're going to have some fun too. I believe God wants us to be in community with each other. I believe that our lives weren't meant for isolation. I believe we're better together. And if you believe that too, then welcome to the tribe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tuesday Tribe podcast. I am so excited that you're here. We have a really special guest um, in this episode. It is my good friend, Erica Ritchie. Erica has just such a powerful story. She's gone through so much in life, and she has kept her eyes so fixed on Jesus throughout her story and her life. And so I'm really, really excited for you to hear that. She's going to be talking a lot about identity and just how our worldly circumstances can have such an impact on who we think that we are and how God wants to redeem that and remind us of who he says that he is. So I'm really, really excited for you to hear my conversation with Erica. It's going to be so good. Just a reminder to rate and review the podcast. That just makes sure that other women find it when they're looking for podcasts. And so let's jump in to my conversation with Erica. Hi, Erica. It is so good to have you. I'm so excited that you're on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so excited um, to hear your story. Um, Erica and I worked together at a church back in Colorado. It feels like forever ago. I know we both have done a lot of life since then, but I'm excited to hear um, just what you have to say about identity and all of that kind of stuff. So will you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? So I was born and raised in Missouri, the show me state. And I, that's where I lived until I was in my early twenties. Um, I went to a small Bible college and that is where I met my husband. He came all the way from Colorado where he's from and I met him. He was wearing cowboy boots and Hawaiian shirt (laughs) and a a tie that did not match. And I said to myself that that guy is weird and quirky and I would never date him. And here I am. I've known him for 15 years. Wow. Um, We've been together for, it'll be 11 years at the end of this year. So uh, yeah, a crazy, crazy story of how (laughs) God brought us together and um, I took a chance on him. So, and he took a chance on me too. So <laughs> we uh, started dating after we graduated from college and then um, we both moved out to Denver at, for grad school. Both got our master's from Denver Seminary and then got married in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> Watch me say that wrong. 2013. And then we, six months later, were pregnant, surprisingly. And wow. um, since then, so we had David in 2014. And then we had Eliza in 2016. And then our little pandemic baby came in (laughs) April this year. We now live, my husband's active duty chaplain in the army. And so we were living in Fort Hood, but we just recently moved to San Antonio. So we also moved during a pandemic. Wow. So now we live in San Antonio and um, he's working in the hospital here in San Antonio. So that's what we do. That's that's awesome. Moving, having a baby all in the middle of the pandemic. You guys are so, so crazy. So brave. <laughs> no, we're just crazy. <laughs> so in 
so today we're talking a little bit about um, identity, and I know that that has been just different p- pieces of your story um, have really played a part in the identity that you have or have had at different seasons of your yeah. life, um, identity that you know others have maybe put on you or that you've given mm-hmm. yourself and um, and of course, you know, the identity that God gives you. And so we're just going to dive right in, if that's okay, okay. with you, to Go for it. some of that stuff. So will you start? I know um, sexual abuse is a part of your story and played a part in your identity. Um, will you tell us just about that and that story? Yeah. So I was nine years old when my grandfather molested me. I say this very carefully, but in I, my situation was unusual compared to a lot of other stories I've heard in that it was a one-time thing Mm. and I stopped it immediately. I didn't know what it was. I mean, this was in the nineties and honestly, the amount of press that sexual abuse gets was not what it was getting then. Mm. You know, my Mm -hmm. parents actually didn't even know what the word, like what even it was. They didn't know what term to attach to it. When it happened, um, I knew that it was wrong and it made me really, it, it scared me. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was a nine-year-old who, like we were talking about, you know, I climbed trees and I got dirty and I was just a little girl that didn't know anything about sex. And suddenly my entire world shifted. Wow. And uh, the fallout from it was that that entire side of my family said that I had lied and had made the whole thing up and they couldn't believe that, you know, the patriarch of the family would do something like this. And, um, so I should, I should back up a little bit when it happened, I knew that it was wrong and that something, it wasn't, it was incredibly wrong. And I also knew that I had to tell my parents. And Mm -hmm. that's another part of this, of my story that since then I've seen that a lot of times that's not the story that is written for a lot of sexual abuse survivors. You know, a lot of times it it happens over long periods of time, multiple times, maybe even with multiple people, even within the same family. It's just, it's tragic what happens to a lot of people. So for, but for me, I knew it was wrong and I knew that I needed to tell my parents, even though my perpetrator told me not to. And um, that that's something that has stuck with me through my life is that I knew it was wrong. I knew I needed to tell my parents. And so I did. And fortunately I was believed, you know, yeah. cause there's also another part of this where a lot of people aren't believed. A lot of children will come to the people that they trust the most and will say, Hey, this just happened. And they will be told, no, it didn't happen. You're wrong. You know, shut up, go back to whatever you were doing. So I was believed and and the fallout from that was that an entire side of my family was lost. And wow. um, even to this day, I am, you know, uh, let's see how many years later, you know, over 25 years later, um, there's members of that family who will not speak to me and uh, w- would continue to say that I, that I was a liar and that I, I made the whole thing up, which is just ridiculous. It's, 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 it's just ridiculous. But I know that people would wonder, like, why didn't your parents prosecute? Why didn't they call the police? And again, it was a time when they didn't even know. And there, it was also, a, they didn't know what could be done. And they also didn't know, would it be my word against his? And, mm-hmm. you know, he was a wealthy man and he, w- he would have had the ability to have good lawyers. And my parents were not wealthy. They were ministers living on, you know, maybe $30,000 a year with four kids. Like, 
there it just was the disparity was great and they just did not know what options were available to them it, it just kind of almost i don't want to say fizzled out but what it splintered the family and then we were kind of left with the fallout how did that experience affect your identity at a young age you know going through that even though of course, still tragic. You know, it happened the one time, but just the repercussions of that, what other members of your family said about you, or maybe thoughts that you had about yourself, how did that begin to shape just your self-image and who you were? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and I actually have been thinking about that for the last week. And so there were there were some things that my, my mom did in particular that she just did probably I don't even, I've asked her before, like, well, how did you know to say these things? And how did you know to treat me this way? And she's like, I don't know. I think God just kind of in the moment gave me the wisdom I needed to know how to handle the situation. And right when I told her, she said, I believe you. Uh, You don't have to see him ever again. We're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of this. You know, this isn't, this isn't going to define you. This isn't something that is going to make you who you are. There's a lot of other Mm -hmm. things about you and not just this. And so from the get go, I mean, literally that almost immediately, the fallout for me was minimized because in around this certain issue around, around my identity and my sexual identity. Now I still had to, as a child, I remember feeling a lot of guilt and concern over the fact that I had kind of blown the lid off of this thing. As, at a young age, you know, I, I felt a lot of, you know, well, is it my fault? Should I have just kept quiet? If I'd kept quiet, we would still be able to see my cousins and my aunts and my uncles mm. and my grandparents. And, you know, life would not be so different. Life wouldn't be so sad. But as far as like my sexual identity, it didn't really affect me until I became a teenager and until I, I started maturing physically and um, becoming a young woman. And that's when I, I had to continue to deal with, um, you know, in my damaged goods, does it make me, you know, because I somehow was, I, because I was taken advantage of in a way and without my consent, does it somehow mar me or make me mm. less than, you know, and how, how do I interact with my world and myself and how do I see myself in the world having gone through that experience. I have had to deal with a lot of things like that throughout my life. I've noticed that it always kind of pops up at different times in my life. So how I have kind of put it in my head and kind of made sense of it in my mind with how it is in my life is that, so say you have broken a leg or you've had knee surgery and I've never had knee surgery and I've never broken my leg, but I have talked to people that have, and a lot of times you'll have residual pain. And so maybe if you go for a really long run after having knee surgery, you might have pain the next day or you might swell up. So with sexual abuse, at least in my case, I have kind of identified it as that, or like a a wound or a scar that sometimes our scars on our body will create kind of residual pain. And that's how it is. That's how it's been for me. So when I have great shifts in my life or great transitions, like getting married or having children or my body changing, even from, you know, what it was in my twenties to now in my thirties, you know, and, and just 
those changes will sometimes kind of bring it up to where then I have to work through it in a different way. So Mm -hmm. it's not the same as when I was nine, because I'm now a 30 some odd year old woman, or when I was 16, it was different. When I was 24, it was different. And so when it pops up, I have learned how to identify it and go, okay, well, this is because there is something in me. I was sinned so greatly against that it has changed who I am forever. Just like, just like if I were to be in a car accident and lose an arm, well, my arm's not going to grow back. So I have to learn how to live without that arm. I think that metaphor is really powerful, you know, because we think of wounds to our physical body as, I don't know, we just all have experienced those wounds, you know, great or small to our physical body. But I think sometimes there's that, that idea that what happens to our mind or our spirit, you know, those like more internal wounds aren't as painful or heal faster, you know? And so that idea that it's residual, that's Mm -hmm. just really powerful. Yeah. And, and I have learned that in, I mean, cause I've gone through a ton of different counseling for different, in different seasons of my life and for different reasons. And something that, that pops up is that, you know, it's, learning to kind of go with the wave, you know, and and it's okay. It's okay that, you know, I fear, I have two daughters now, you know, I fear for them and I fear for the ugly world that they're going to grow up in because I've experienced it. It was, it became so unbelievably real to me. And you know, what happened to me happened before internet. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we didn't have internet in our home at the time. So, you know, I'm now raising my daughters in this world and that can be really fearful. And so learning how to address it in myself and go, you know what, that spot in me sometimes rears its ugly head and I have to learn how to go, you know, that doesn't define me. That is just something that happened to me. I'm going to address it. I'm going to recognize it. I'm going to call it out. I'm going to say, hey, yeah, that is you know, I've had situations with my husband before um, where I'm just like, sorry, I, you can't, you can't do that right now. That's, mm-hmm. you know, in like intimate times, you're just like I, that, that kind of, that triggered me. I hate, sometimes I hate that word, but and it's like, I, I'm sorry, you know, that's not you, that's me. And right now that's kind of a sore spot for some reason. I don't yeah. know why. So being able to recognize it and call it out and then go on with my day because I'm not a sexual abuse survivor. I'm not because that's just something that happened to me. I'm a Mm -hmm. victor. I have victory over it. I don't have to be defined by my sexual abuse. I'm not Erica, the sexual abuse survivor. I'm Erica, the child of God. Like that's my identity, not, not what's happened to me. I don't, I don't need to claim that. And we need to recognize that our identity isn't solely based on our sexuality or the things that have happened to us and real healing doesn't begin to happen until you can say i'm i'm not claiming that as who i am i'm claiming mm-hmm. a new identity and and the, the cool thing about christianity and about christ is that he gives us that he's yeah. like this is your identity yep and i don't have to worry about it i don't have to worry like well what is my identity and, and do i need to be you know, labeled as the person that, you know, was molested at the age of nine. Like, I don't, 
I live my life, you know, and my husband and I were talking the other day and he's like, you know, Erica, because he knows the whole story, obviously. And um, I said, Erica, I don't, I don't think about that with you. Like there's, there are days where I forget that even happened to you. And I said, well, exactly. Because that's, that's my injury. That's my wound. And it is my responsibility to address it in my life. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that like I said, it doesn't rear its head. You know, it sometimes does. And I have to work through it and I have to pray through it and I have to address it. But it also means that, you know, we live our lives and we, uh, we grow and we struggle and we have other things that are going on. You know, my identity, my, my labels, so to speak, are vast today. <laughs> you know, I, I have so many labels for who I am and, even those, you know, being a wife, being a mother, all these other labels that I could put on myself, they don't really encapsulate who I am mm. fully. You know, mm-hmm. they're just parts of it. Wow, you're giving me goosebumps over here. Uh-huh. It's like, uh-huh. preach, girl. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned, um, you know, you got married and then shortly after that, unexpectedly, you were pregnant. And I know you and I have talked before, like you were headed into your career. I know you and Dan were wanting to wait on having kids and suddenly, you know, all of a sudden here's this little baby that kind of took your life in a whole other direction than what you were planning. And so how did that affect you? Suddenly, you know, you, you were going in one direction and now suddenly you have this identity of mom and you weren't expecting it. So how did that, you know, play into just your life and your identity and In a lot of ways, I would say that it was more difficult than my sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of funny and maybe a little strange to hear, (laughs) maybe even for me to say, because, you know, you you think, well, being a mother, isn't that just the most amazing thing ever? And it's not. (laughs) It's not. And but it is. It is. It's not. But it is. And Mm -hmm. so I, I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked. You know, we had been married for six months. We were hoping I had finished my master's degree and I was working part-time at a church and I was working part-time in my field, my, in mental health. And, uh, you know, I, we had this direction we were going on, you know, going towards and, and Dan was uh, working on finishing his master's degree. And so we had these plans and suddenly I was pregnant Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and it was the one time in my life. I, I have never thought that abortion was okay. But I'm telling you, there were, there were times where I was like, if abortion was okay, I would do it. Mm-hmm. And like for me, like if I, if I yeah. was okay with it, then I would do it because suddenly my whole world was out of my own control and we didn't have, and we were living in Denver and Denver's cost of living was skyrocketing at the time. And so I was like, well, I don't have the money to put my kid in childcare. I, I wanted to stay home with my children. I actually, before we got pregnant, I wasn't even sure I wanted kids, hmm. but it was almost like so culturally expected to, to have children that I was like, well, of course we'll have kids, but I don't know if I really ever was like, yes, I want children. Mm-hmm. And so then when it suddenly was put upon me, like, oh, you're pregnant and you're going to be having a kid. You're a mom now. Um, I didn't know what to do. I just was like, this is my whole world is turning upside down. Everything is out of my own control. And then I felt guilty because I know so many women who have had miscarriages and stillbirths Mm -hmm. and have had, have struggled with infertility that would just 
die to be able to surprisingly be pregnant and carry the baby to term. So I felt a, a huge amount of guilt where I was like, I feel bad even thinking these things. So in that during that time, I didn't really share those thoughts with a lot of people because I felt like it was bad. Like I was mm-hmm. bad for having those feelings and those thoughts that, you know, I, I didn't really want to have this baby. And it was also in a weird time of Dan and I's life because he was actually going to the base, like the officer's basic training for the military. And so he left when I was about four months pregnant and got back when I was, I was like four months later. So I was like eight months pregnant when he got back home. So he missed about four, four months of, of my pregnancy with David. And to this day, there are times where we talk about how David really shouldn't feel resentment from us to him. It wasn't his fault. He was born. Right. But there, 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 we've had to work through some resentment of, you know, we were newlyweds and we had finally gotten married. You know, we had dated for like four years and we were just finally getting married and, you know, ready to start our lives, ready to go on adventures. And when you have a kid, suddenly your whole world changes. And Mm -hmm. it really is true that that kid, that kid is almost in control because you have to feed the child and put the child to sleep and bathe the child. You know, that, that baby depends totally on you. And so my whole world changed because I went from, you know, in my head thinking, oh, I'm just this rock star, you know, I'm going to be this therapist and, you know, I'm going to have my, my license and I'm going to rule the world. And, (laughs) you know, I I have these plans and these dreams of what I'm going to do. And, you know, God wants me to do them for him. And I've realized since then, because David's almost six, that I think a lot of those plans I had were mine. They weren't necessarily God's. And I've had to be okay with setting aside the career Erica, the the therapist Erica, and picking up the mom Erica. I just remember one time you telling me like you had all these these plans and you were gonna be, you know, like you said, a therapist and and it was I think David was maybe one or two and you were like, and now I'm picking up Cheerios off the floor. And like just the stark difference between what you had envisioned for your life and who you thought you were gonna be and kind of how you, who you ended up being, you know, unexpectedly, will you talk a little bit about just like working through that? And because now here you are three kids later, you know, and you've stayed at home the whole time and you've been, you know, mom to those kids pretty exclusively, like apart from, you know, being a wife and, and other things, but how did you maybe come to terms with like, no, this is who I am and I'm going to embrace it. Yeah. It took a lot of struggle, a lot of time. I fought it a lot. (laughs) I fought it a lot. And sometimes I still fight it because being a mom is hard. And I have worked with drug addicts and alcoholics and homeless people that want to be homeless. And being a mom is harder than that. When I started realizing how hard being a mom really is, if you really want to engage your kids, if you really want to instill goodness in them if you want them to hopefully grow up to love Jesus like it it takes a lot of work if you want them to be nice people it takes so much work and so I've definitely done this kicking and screaming a lot you know God and I have had lots of conversations where it's not that I didn't think being a mom wasn't a worthwhile career or job I just didn't think it was for me actually if I'm honest I think that I thought I was better than that (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so for God to basically humble me and say no you're going to be a mom and you're going to have to learn how to reconcile that you believe that kids need their mom 
they need a parent at home in my in my opinion and because of that because that was a value of mine that I wasn't willing to give up that means that you're going to be at home mm-hmm. and I've had to work through because my husband and I have the same level of education and so I am a, a highly educated person and my husband has the same level of edu- education as I do and he's getting the chance to pursue his career and here I am, like you said, you know, I'm picking up Cheerios off the floor. You know, I'm, I'm wiping butts all day. Last <laughs> night I, I had a, a miniature breakdown and I'm telling Dan, you know, I just wipe surfaces. That's all I do all day. I wipe surfaces. I wipe butts. I wipe faces. I wipe tables. I wipe floors. I wipe counters. Like I just wipe things all day. So it, part of my like struggle and working through things was, you know, what, what is the purpose of being a mom? Because if the purpose of being a mom is just to raise kids, anybody can do that. I could hire someone who, I don't know, I could hire a 12-year-old to raise my kids because there are 12-year-olds that raise children, mm-hmm. you know? So what is the purpose of raising raising children, being a mom? And it has to be something for me and how I had to work through it was like, well, then it has to be something better or more than just full-time 24 seven babysitting. And as I have worked through it and as I am working through it, I'm seeing that, you know, I am the center of my children's universe and I am the main support for my husband. He could not do what he does without me. And I don't say that like, Oh, I'm just so amazing and awesome. No, like the support that I provide him makes it possible for him to go and talk to suicidal soldiers makes it possible for him to go to the hospital and talk to dying people makes it possible for him to go to work and come home and have food to eat. That's healthy. So there, there is a level of support there that if I was super selfish and super stubborn about pursuing my career, and this is what I'm going to do that I would potentially miss out on those opportunities to, to be supporting, to be the cheerleader, to be the person that's like, hey, I'm going to humble myself and set aside my wants and my desires and lift up my husband and support him so that he can have success. And then with the kids, I already see the payoff in their lives of having mm-hmm. a parent that is consistently in their lives. My kids have an independence about them. They have a confidence about them that comes from, you know, a parent cheerleading them on and, you know, saying, Hey, you can do this and you can jump off the stairs carefully and, you know, you can (laughs) climb trees and you can, you know, make your own sandwich or whatever, you know, open your own juice box. Like there, there's, there's confidence that comes with them having a cheerleader and someone in their lives who has, I has basically been there every day of their life. You know, I think I've been away from David in nearly six years of his life for maybe a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, I just need a break. <laughs> you know, can you just like not touch me? <laughs> but then when I look at it and I step, when I really step back from it and I go, well, what, what is that going to do for my family? And that they have had a parent, their mom specifically, that is there consistently and investing in them. And I get frustrated with it still when it's like, oh, you're the emotional support for the entire family. But when I kind of step back and go, well, what does that really mean? What does that really look like? It's like, well, you, you have a gift that you're bringing a nurturing gift, a emotional supporting gift, a, 
a, a role that if you didn't dive into it and lean into it, it would be missing. You know, my kids would be missing that. My husband would be missing that if I was so stuck on a career and pursuing those goals and those dreams. Now, that's not to say I, I don't want that to sound like being a stay-at-home mom is the only option. I know sure, I have yeah. friends. I have I know so many women who work and they are excellent mothers and they, they have made it work. They are doing a fabulous job with their families and with their children and their husbands and, and their spouses and accomplishing so many things. So that's not to say that I am dogging on, you know, the people that continue to work, the women that continue to work. I'm just saying that for me and, and the journey that I've been on, I, I really do believe that God kind of needed to break me from mm. the pride of thinking that I had all these things to offer and the world needed them. When really today, what I need is I need to hug my three and a half year old, you mm. know, and tell her mm -hmm. that she's beautiful because there's a lot of three and a half year olds in the world that aren't told that. And no one's gonna, I'm, I don't get accolades for that. No one's gonna, you know, put me up on a stage or clap their hands and be like, yay, Erica, you did that today, yay. <laughs> it's a very hard, lonely job to be a mom. But in my more sane moments, I, I step back from it and I go, you know, I am, I am putting something in my children and into my family that is going to outlast me. Yeah, I think that's so good. I just, one of the things that God has been teaching me a lot about recently is like, you don't have to change the world. You just have the opportunity and the responsibility to like change the world of the people around you, whether that's Jeff, yeah. my husband, or it's people that I work with or my family or whatever. I think, I think there's just such a like mindset that permeates our culture right now. That's, you know, I have to go out and change the entire world and yeah. do these big, big, grand world changing you know, accomplishments. And that's great for people who do. Sometimes I want to do that. I don't even know if I have the ability or like the talents to do something like that, that, that life changing on that kind of scale. But you know, how can I love my husband today and make mm -hmm. his world better? Or how can I support mm -hmm. the people I work with and make their world better? And it, it brings me comfort to remember, like, of course, Jesus changed the world, but not at the time, you know, at no. the time yeah. it was just, the 12 people who followed him, his mom, his, you know, a small, Jesus had a very small circle of influence yeah. on the grand scheme of things. And it yes. just, it helps me to remember like, you know, Jesus wasn't on every continent. He wasn't no. on the main stage speaking at these, you know, 500,000 person gatherings. No. It's yeah. like, he was just like hanging out with the people around him. And that's what changed the world is like mm -hmm. his intention on just like the people that God mm -hmm. put around him. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I think that's so good. That's so good and so true. I mean, if you look at where Jesus lived, it's a very small part of the world that he yeah. lived his entire life on. Yep. And Dan and I have talked a lot about how we think it, it, I don't know if it was our generation. I kind of think it is like the people, you know, our age and a little bit older where we were told and taught, especially as Christians growing up that, you know, you're unique and your gifts are unique to you and you have this amazing thing to offer and you just need to discover what it is. And some of that is true, but it is also true that God doesn't need me. Mm -hmm. You know, if God's going to accomplish his purposes, he's going to do it with or without me. Yep. He invites us into it. 
you know, he, he has an open invitation of, hey, come along to what I'm doing. But that doesn't mean that, you know, if Erica Ritchie decides, I've, I've had it, I'm done. God's not going to be like, oh, man, well, I was <laughs> going to do this. But yep. darn, I can't do it now. And I've had to work through that of like, I didn't realize how ingrained that was in me to, you know, be like, I'm going to pursue these amazing things, which I think it's good. And there are some things that I still want to pursue in my life. So I'm not saying that I'm getting rid of my dreams, saying maybe it's not yet. Just realizing that, you know, sometimes the mundane day-to-day things are, are good. They're godly. They can be useful and they don't, it doesn't have to be this huge, amazing thing. I think that's a great place to end this conversation. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and answer some fun questions to help our audience get to know you more. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Okay, we are back with Erica. And Erica, just thank you again so much for being on the show. Um, We're going to answer a few fun questions. So the first question that I have for you is, what is the first fun thing you would do if you won the lottery? The first fun thing? Oh, man. (laughs) I would, there's a lot of things I would do. I probably would go skydiving. Oh, interesting. I, I probably would. That terrifies me. I will never <laughs> go skydiving. <laughs> There's a lot of things I'd want to do because part of me is like, oh, I'd want to like take my kids to Disney World. I'm like, well, we could save up for that. Maybe want to like buy a mansion. I'm like, uh, uh, then you have to pay property taxes. And clean so it. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, <laughs> I wipe up enough stuff already. I don't need more surfaces. <laughs> Who would play you in a movie about your life? So when I was younger, people like really young, like in my teens, people would say that I looked like Julia Roberts. So. Okay. We'll say Julia Roberts. I could see it a little. I could see the resemblance a little bit. I always say for me, Anne Hathaway. Yes. She kind of looks like me or I guess I kind of look like her probably. So that's always my go-to. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my last question is, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Speed. I like would want to have to super fast. speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, like, get those surfaces all wiped oh, so fast. Oh, man. <laughs> if, I, if I could, like, do dishes, like, 50 times faster. But even, like, just grocery shopping or getting through traffic. I don't know if you've watched the show The Flash. We love The Flash. Yeah, we have. It's like, dude, if I could just travel through the city super fast, get everything done I need to, go shopping, get stuff, that would be awesome. That <laughs> would totally take great. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff always says that his would be to fly because then he could just, like, fly over the traffic. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Flying, like – Unless it's like super speedy flying, then it still takes the same amount of time to get places, you know. Yeah, and then you're like, well, how do you? I mean, you have to have a cape, obviously. So of course. How would you do all that? It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, I judge him <laughs> for it for sure. I'm like, that's stupid. <laughs> it's a stupid superpower. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. <laughs> All right. The last question that I have that we always end the show with um, is just, what do you want other women to know about God from your story? Mm, such a good question. 
And I want, I want people to know that God is faithful. Mm. Um, God is there. Something that has stuck with me through, through my whole life is I, I met Corey Ten Boom through her book, The Hiding Place. And her story just has always stuck with me. I love her story and I love, I love her book. And it's, it's unbelievable what she went through her and her family and something that has always stuck with me that she says in that book is it's something along the lines of there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Mm. And God is there, you know, God doesn't always miraculously save us from the bad things in this world but he's there and he promises to be there. And that for me, like if, if someone could look in my life and see that, that would be significant for me, you know, for people to know, no, God is there. Even in the times when you feel alone and like no one sees and no one's there to help you. No, he's, he's there with you. Erica, thank you so much again for being on the show. It's been so fun to hang out and catch up with you. I miss you, and I hope we get to see each other really soon. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, it's good to see you. All right, talk to you later. Okay, bye. Didn't you just love Erica? I told you, she's amazing. Her story is powerful. She loves Jesus so fiercely. She's funny. I love the part about just being a surface wiper. I know so many of you moms out there feel that way too. She's, she's amazing. I'm so glad that you got to hear that conversation. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it, um, for those of you maybe struggling with some identity or who have gone through something similar, I hope it just reminds you of who God is and how much he loves you. If you want to get more content from Tuesday Tribe, you can actually sign up for our Tuesday Tribe email. So it happens on the off weeks of the podcast. So you can actually be getting content every single week if you're subscribed for the podcast and signed up for the email. So make sure you do that. You can find that on the website or on Instagram instructions on how to get signed up for that. You won't want to miss it. It's so good. And as we always do, we're going to end this podcast episode with a benediction. It's just my encouragement and my blessing to you as you go out and live this life that God has called you to live. So until next time, may you find peace in the presence of your Father who is with you wherever you are. He's with you wherever you are. May you lift your eyes past fear, past anxiety, past worry to see those around you. In a world that is closed, feel the courage to open your heart to those who could use some light. May you wait with expectation on your God, trusting in his promise to be in the same deep waters you may find yourself in now. He has not forgotten you. He will not. And may you always remember we're better together.